He sounds like too much of a drama bomb, honestly. A lot of shit keeps following Dylan, and I don't know if I want to deal with it. Drama bombs? Dad bombs? <laughs> my car was, my dad was killed in a drama bomb. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> and my hit single about it bombed, too. Wiki wiki. We've seen it all before, so let's reload on a very special episode of shows that suck and shows that glow. Buckle up, buttercup, it's a bumpy road. Going deep inside the mainframe secret code. Some of this shit stinks, some of it's gold. Featuring the VIPs of SBT, Austin G and Dr. DB with our AT&C money. Weird TV is their specialty. It might be all four or just one, two, or three. Cause they're old and kind of busy. So go get ready and take a peek. So set your phasers to download a rarity that we have bestowed. Special moments no one would have shown. Open your body holes cause you're gonna get told. Grab yourself a drink and let's unload. In a very special episode. Hello, and welcome to A Very Special Episode, the podcast which reviews very special episodes of TV featuring recently departed actors. <laughs> I am your host, Austin Gorton, and joining me today is the Brenda to my Brandon, without all of the creepy incest subtext. Uh, Carolyn Maine, and I'll take your word for that. I would I try to re- bring some incest subtext to our show, but I mean, we'll see. Yeah, we got nothing on the on the Minnesota Twins from 90210. Uh, and uh, today we are also joined by a special guest star. And when I say special guest star, this time I mean it like in 90210 when Luke Perry came back and was billed as special guest star. <laughs> and, that, and that person is... Uh, me, Shane Hosey. Although that does imply that I've been on the show before. <laughs> I suppose, since, yeah. I've, I've been around in spirit, I guess. Yes, you you are a a fellow uh, veteran of the River City podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, rest in peace. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, and Shane, let's get in a quick plug for your uh, for your show. Yeah, so my my current show that I'm working on is called Anime at the Gates, where a friend of mine and I, Craig May, uh, are watching every anime uh, that's ever been created, uh, and Whoa. we're reviewing it all, and we're we're determining it all by random. So um, each each episode, we, we get one at random and watch like the first episode, and then review it. Very cool. Our uh, <laughs> co-host David, who's off basking in wedded bliss as we're recording this, will uh, I think he would get a big kick out. Oh, of married? That. Huh? Doesn't okay. sound like a good anime fan. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Nicely done. Well, thanks for joining us today, Shane. Uh, We are discussing Beverly Hills 90210 Season 3, Episode 22, The Child is Father to the Man, in which uh, we get a double dose of Luke Perry as he... Uh, as Dylan deals with the recent death of his father by car bomb. <laughs> when Dylan is dealing with it. Uh, yeah, Dylan is dealing with it. I see what you did there. He's not dealing with it very well, I have to say. 
No. No, he is one not. One of them is doing it a little better, and one of them is like Chris Gaines when <laughs> Garth Brooks got sad. Uh, yeah, this is kind of the Chris Gaines, uh, <laughs> Garth Brooks, Dylan episode a little bit, isn't it? So yeah, we uh, I decided to do this episode since uh, Luke Perry has recently and somewhat suddenly passed away. He Luke perished. He- <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of that, and it was, like, trendy when he died a week ago. Anyways, R.I.P. Luke Perry. Yeah, and um, spoiler alert, I'm a big 90210 fan, and I've oh. I've been waiting for just the right moment to do an episode of 90210, and this isn't necessarily the one that I would have picked. Oh, well, congratulations, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that this was a good, uh, good Luke Perry showcase, and uh, since lately we seem to be more often than not having our... Uh, our episode selections dictated for us by the passing of celebrities. I figured this was the way to go. <laughs> Mona from Who's the Boss will have to wait for a, a later episode, I guess. <laughs> oh my god, how come we haven't done her yet? Because I'm a Shit. bigger 90210 fan than I am a Who's the Boss fan. She'll be Mona-ing <laughs> as a ghost later. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know, I'm in a mood. <laughs> so Shane, what is your relationship with Beverly Hills 902? Oh, let me tell you, man, uh none. Uh, absolutely zero. <laughs> Never seen it before. Uh a single awesome. second of the show. <laughs> awesome. So this all made perfect sense. Yep, I definitely started taking notes at the beginning and then realized I don't know any of these character names. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop taking notes because <laughs> none of this is gonna make sense to me, even if I read it later. Uh Carolyn, how about you? Pretty similar. For some reason, this never appealed to me when it was airing. I think it was just too um, soap opera-matic. And it is something, though, to look at all these men and all their hairstyles and coifs. Coifs. So it's nice to see. <laughs> what year was this episode? Uh, this... Question mark. Uh, this episode aired the 17th of February, 1993. 93, okay. about my guess, yeah. Yeah, no, that was a pretty good guess. I was seven. <laughs> ah, yeah, see, I'm the oldie here. Mm. I, I would have been 12. Yeah. Austin, I guess I would say also my biggest relationship to 90210 is how sometimes we'd mention it when you and I were on a Saved by the Bell podcast. Yeah, Saved by the Bell is sort of the... Uh, the squeaky clean, even more ridiculous version of nine hundred two one zero. So it's the gateway. Yeah. It is. It is very and it and it was legitimately the gateway for me. Like I went from Saved <laughs> by the Bell to nine hundred two one zero. And it shares some cast members too. So it's like for it really real. Yeah, it does share some cast members. Austin, yeah. what is some of your relationship like with nine hundred two one zero? Well, so I'll be carrying the the nine hundred two one zero lore for this episode. You will. You will. Um, the yeah, I I was all about this show back in the day. This is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can comfortably call this one of my favorite shows of all time because the line between like legitimately liking it and ironically liking it has blurred so continuously. Uh, you see, I don't know if I believe in ironically liking anything though. That's a, you put in enough time to something. I'm sorry, you like that's it. A fair, no, that's a that's a legitimate. Uh, I I often say that I I have a hard time with the concept of guilty pleasures because like what you like, you don't have to be guilty. Yeah. You don't have to feel guilty about Pleasure. it. Pleasure's pleasure, baby. That's what I always say. <laughs> it feels good. Do it. Yeah. Speaking of 
pleasure. Austin, um, an orphan told me that this might be a very special episode number of a very special episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, this would be uh, this will be episode 69. Of I'm very, very honored to be here. Yes. Shane, how did you time this? You were also on the BJ69 episode of Pitch Please we did. So. <laughs> well, I was a co-host of Pitch Please, so that was yeah. a little easier. That's true. <laughs> very many shows. That's like that saying, that's like saying Carolyn really lucked out by being on the 69th episode <laughs> of this show. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, when I'm on most of them. Yeah, but no, I do feel lucky. Fuck you, Ryan. Fuck you, David. Go 69 each other. Yeah, so I'm a big 90210 fan. I watched yeah. it pretty much um, my when I was like maybe 10-ish. My best friend at the time was like, you got to check out this show. And he got me to watch it, and I missed like the first season and a half. I think I really got into it during their first uh, summer episodes, which was a thing that they did early on, which was kind of 90210 was one of the uh, nascent Fox Network's kind of breakout hits along with The Simpsons and Married with Children that kind of like put them on the map. And one of the things that they did to do that was to air new episodes in the summer because no one has new episodes in the summer. Kids are outside playing. So um, right, right. they like, you know, were the only show anyone was talking about for a few months. And nowadays, you're like, whatever, there's new TV on all the fucking time whenever I want to just pull it up on my streaming platform of choice. But uh, back then, that was kind of a big deal. And that's, I think, when I first got into it was their first set of, like, summer episodes. They also filmed their summer episodes at the same uh, Gray Sky Beach Club as the Saved by the Bell gang. Shout out Summer Sands. I was just thinking of those days. Yes, the uh, Beverly Hills Beach Club and Malibu Sands are the same locale in uh, Holy California. Nine hundred two and zero apparently got to film there during the actual summer, though, because <laughs> they actually have episodes set on the beach where it's sunny and it looks like you'd want to be there instead of it being like <laughs> gray and miserable looking. So do they shoot? Is it like the equivalent of like a day for night? It's just like winter for summer. Yeah, yes. I think that's kind of how it worked. Instead of a, a lens filter, it's just they're just blasting a uh, space heater just off camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I watched Chinatown all the way through to the end. It ran like ten seasons. Um, it was it was my destination TV for a while there, <laughs> and it's this weird thing because I watched it. I mean, I was like ten when it's when I first started watching it, which is probably a little young um, for it. But uh, as a result, like this was one of those shows where a lot of my like early notions of what it was like to be like a teenager or a young adult were formed. And they were all of course blatantly wrong because <laughs> no one actually lives a life even in California the way these people do. But it was still like everything that happened to me in like high school and was compared to like, this is more or less like what happened to so-and-so on 90210. Um, so did you, did you also evolve then into Melrose place and the uh, following mm. spinoff shows or uh, I did watch Melrose place. Um, also missed the first season of that for some reason, but yeah, I did. I watched Melrose place through to the end. Um, I don't think I watched all of Models Inc., which was the other, <laughs> the spinoff for Melrose Place, which was the spinoff from 90210. But uh, well, then there was also 90210 without the Beverly Hills. Like that was yes, a show too. That wasn't was it? the CW's like revamp of it. Because when I when I it was initially trying to find this episode, I found a different episode title, and I'm like, wait, what's? It's, so wait, there's 90210 and Beverly Hills 90210. What the hell? I'd rather just watch a rerun of the old one on like the Soap Channel or TV Land or whatever. Yeah. 
and it is it's a hundred like it is unabashedly a uh, a soap opera and uh but that's i like soap operas that's why i'll i mean i'm a comic book reader and they're pretty much the same damn thing yeah i watch pro wrestling it's all it's all it's, yeah exactly yeah david would uh david would say the same thing i think if long form narrative storytelling that has an overarching big long plots yeah it's all the same yeah and you get and i guess what i mean by ironically is like you reach that point where you you're almost watching the show to see how they like revisit familiar tropes and like oh here's another instance of brandon being a sanctimonious prick how are they gonna handle it this time and (laughs) you're not like enjoying him being a sanctimonious prick but you're enjoying the addition to the canon of brandon being a sanctimonious prick the dick canon yeah you you go deep enough into anything be it like uh wrestling soap operas or magic the gathering and eventually you stop playing the game and you're just more into the meta Right, exactly, exactly, <laughs> and I am. That's definitely where I'm at with the uh, with nine hundred two one zero. So this episode opens. Uh, at least I watched this on Hulu. Um, I think you guys f- watched it through like Daily Motion or something like that. Uh, no comment. I plead the fifth. <laughs> I maybe found it in the internet somewhere else. Yeah. And uh, on on Hulu, at least, there was no cold open, and the only, like, flashback we got was an artsy flashback in the first scene. Um, But the Mm -hmm. laying the groundwork for this episode is that Dylan's dad is, like, a white-collar criminal with a lot of money who got sent to jail for mob connections. And then he got out of jail, and he and Dylan were estranged for a long time, but when he got out of jail, they kind of reconnected, and they started to have this great relationship, and everything was great. And then his dad blew up in a car bomb that the mob set to uh, to get back at him, and that was the end of the previous episode, which then gets uh, referenced in the first scene of this episode. And while all that was going on, we had the the first big blow up of the Kelly Dylan Brenda love triangle when uh, Dylan cast off longtime romantic partner Brenda in favor of Kelly and Brenda got super pissed and said she never wanted to see them again and talk to them again and um, that runs undercurrent throughout this episode as well. Brenda is Shannon Doherty and Kelly is the blonde lady. Yes, yes that is correct. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I have a question. Yes. Uh-huh. In terms of continuity, I the way that I saw that beginning montage, I had interpreted that as it was Dylan's car that had the bomb in it. I was not Dylan's car. It was okay. his dad's. Because it, it looked like he was having problems with the car, and then his dad was like, no, I'll take care of it. And then he blew up. So it, it, for some reason, when I just saw it cold without knowing anything, it looked like, oh, was that bomb meant for Dylan? <laughs> How important was Dylan? Yeah, it's very much a case. So the staging of it was Dylan's dad is living on a houseboat at this point in time. Like all cool motherfuckers. Like all cool motherfuckers. Right. And so then like that morning he needed to move his car or something like that. And so Dylan was like, oh, don't worry, dad. I'll go move it for you because we're getting along swimmingly now. And then as Dylan walked out to start the car, which would have resulted in Dylan blowing up. Kelly called on the houseboat phone to talk to Dylan, and so then his dad was like, hey, Dylan, phone call, and Dylan comes back and talks to Kelly, and while he's doing that, his dad goes to move the car and then blows up. Wait, gotcha. wait, okay. wait, you're saying houseboats have phones? I know, big, giant, clunky cell phones, like in the rest <laughs> of this episode. 
Oh, hold on. I'll take this call on my boat phone. <laughs> Phone's almost as big as some of those coats they were wearing. Right? Oh, I have, oh some, God, I I have some things to say about those coats. Just you I wait. I do, too. Great, <laughs> yeah. great. Uh, yeah, so the episode opens with a uh, sort of black and white, pseudo-artsy flashback to the sequence of events that led to Dylan's dad blowing up and Dylan falling to the ground in literal fist-clenching angst. And then he wakes up to find himself being taunted by a gray sweatshirt and baseball hat clad version of himself. Who's like, you know, we're always going to have to deal with this now, pal. These nightmares of our dad blowing up. So that was another, that was another instant question I had. Um, So I, I, have a self-diagnosed case of mild face blindness, so I wasn't 100% sure that was also Luke Perry, so I'm like, so who is this other character, and is he always around? You know, I felt a little later on, like, I had a mild case of face blindness, because there's so many handsome men with really big hair that I was getting, like, three of them confused, and then, yeah, they'd pull out this twin situation. Yeah, and it's not fair. You put a hat on a guy, and how the hell am I supposed to recognize Luke Perry? (laughs) That's true. That's like espionage 101. Right? Yeah. Right? Well, for what it's worth, uh, that was that was Luke Perry in a dual role. And yeah. uh, this is the only episode in which uh, Dylan is haunted by himself. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, then we go to a scene at the uh, 1950s diner Peach Pit that the gang hangs out at. That's basically their Max, Carol. Yeah, it was so clearly the Max and also what the fuck from uh, Full House. The s- oh, the Smash Club. <laughs> Smash Room, the Sizzle Room. Or whatever yeah. it was called. Yeah, 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 yeah. Instead yeah. of a wizard, the Peach yeah. Pit is owned by Nat, who's like a washed up Hollywood actor. That's not <laughs> as cool. It's not nearly as cool. He should get into the occult as a washed-up actor, restauranteur. Amongst 90210 fans, there's the general consensus that by the time they started adding Nat to the opening credits towards the end of the show's run, you know you're in trouble. Ooh. (laughs) Poor Nat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Brian Austin Green, who is playing David, who is basically a wannabe Vanilla Ice at this point in the continuity. The skinny brunette with tall hair. Yes, he is. He is the youngest of the crew. When the show started, he was the like uber nerd. He was basically like a screech who had a another screech that he hung out with. And the two of them like followed the older girls around and did like creepy, screechy, stocky things. Um, And then over the course of one of those series of like summer episodes, he his dad and Kelly's mom started dating and he got a little less geeky and a little more acceptable and sort of got integrated into the group. And then that's the same time that his little buddy came back from spending the summer learning about guns in Oklahoma and then shooting himself, which gets referenced later in this episode. (laughs) Okay. But at this point in time, David is a fully integrated member of the group with aspirations to become like a white vanilla ice rapper. Yes. A whiter still. Yeah, a whiter still. And then eventually Brian Austin Green will grow up and marry Megan Fox. What? Really? Uh, Well, good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Did they stay together? I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't seem like they would to me right now, which isn't nice, but. Yeah. He he would would later be on that that Terminator TV show for a while. 
Oh, right. Yeah, I think they're still married. Damn. Okay, Brian Austin Green, I yeah. did you dirty. I'm sorry. Per, per the Cracked Research team, they are still married. Okay, good for you guys. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, uh, Vanilla Ice is uh, hanging out at the Peach Pit with the rest of the gang watching uh, coverage of Dylan's dad's funeral and complaining about how he has to go to his first big recording session the same day as uh, Dylan's dad's funeral. You know what he should do is sample that dad explosion noise over and over again. <laughs> and and Dylan's anguish cry. <laughs> this next track is called Dad Explosion. That's ten times harder than anything Vanilla Ice ever did. And it yeah. would be ten times better than anything we ever hear from David in future episodes as far as his oh, music is man. concerned. Oh, no, they actually play his music? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, no, he ends up, like, he gets, he becomes part of, like, Babyface's band and cheats on Donna with a record executive. And, yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, as long wow. as his first career, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, we go back that to... That record executive's name? Megan Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we go to Dylan's house, where he is trying to get a hold of his mom, who lives in Hawaii, and is getting taunted by baseball hat Dylan some more. And then uh, Kelly, the the blonde in the Kelly, Dylan, Brenda triangle, comes out and tries to comfort him. But then Brenda's dad shows up at the door and is like, yo, Dylan, come come stay with us while you deal with your dad being all exploded. <laughs> And Kelly's not too happy about that because it means that Dylan's going to be hanging out in the house with Brenda. But uh, the three of them managed to push past the the media gathered outside of Dylan's house. And uh, a somewhat sinister looking guy is watching them uh, from a car. And he's like, well, we can't just grab the kid in front of all of the press. And you're supposed to be like, ooh, is the mob after Dylan now? He's less, he's less sinister and more doughy. Yeah, every every one of the we're trying to make you scared that Dylan's going to get whacked by the mob people throughout this episode are more doughy than scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys, scary people can be doughy. But not hey, these people. <laughs> not the people that they're casting. <laughs> you guys haven't watched Fargo. You gotta see it. There's doughy and frightening. Which I yeah. guess I guess maybe that fits the, the twist at the end about their real identity, that they're not actually scary, but uh, I don't know. Spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the crime guy or whatever he is, he's in the car and he's like, well, then get another cowboy if you don't like the way I ride. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a top-notch hard-boiled dialogue right there. <laughs> Later on, they do other hard-boiled dialogue. Probably won't even get, it's like they say... Take another two in the bonnet, like hard <laughs> shots. It's really old timey words. Yeah, see? thank you. It's either old timey or British. <laughs> right, right. Take another two in the bonnet, love. <laughs> Governor. Yeah, and this is speaking of British. This is the this is the point where when I was watching this on Hulu, it really struck me how odd looking the episode is in terms of what I remember. Like, I don't know if it's the conversion to like watching it on an HD TV when it was a standard deaf show, or if they did something weird, like remastered it when they put it on Hulu, but it has almost that weird high frame rate that British shows have where, and like the backgrounds 
seem further in the the back of the the camera's field to the point where they're almost like matte painting looking but i know that they're actual sets and it was very off-putting throughout the rest of the episode once it all kind of clicked into place for me yeah see i had an interesting problem with mine too i don't know if it was the hd conversion or like what whatever it was but like for some reason all the text was backwards and everyone's faces seemed reversed i don't know (laughs) carol did you have that problem too no no but the problem i had is very strange actually at the very end of the episode like when it's doing the credits it would just like stop for a minute and then pick back up as soon as i had relaxed and then it would stop again but it didn't have like snow or leaves going in a corner shane (laughs) (laughs) so uh next scene dylan and kelly and brenda's dad jim Uh, arrive at the eponymous Walsh house, which is a setting that outlasts all of the actual Walshes on the show. Oh, they just Uh, keep hanging out at their house? Yes, the entire Walsh family, (laughs) Brenda and Brandon and the two parents, all leave the show at one point before the show ends, but their house remains the central locale on the show. Do more Walshes come into it? No. Okay. They, Interesting. they basically give the house to Steve at one point, and then he lives there with other Okay. Because that's, that's what enough. you do. You just give houses to your friend, your kids' friends, right? I mean, when you're rich, maybe. How rich are these people? <laughs> They're not supposed to be that rich. The whole, the whole they all kind of look pretty rich. Well, you're very right. The, the initial <laughs> premise of the show was that a family from Minnesota moves to Beverly Hills and it's all like wacky fish out of water because they have Midwestern values and they don't have a maid and they have curfew. But all of these, you know, Valley girls from Beverly Hills have like designer clothes and can stay out as late as they want. And how will these wacky Midwesterners fit in? But that, (laughs) that vanishes pretty quickly. (laughs) It turns out uh, people just want to watch stuff about Beverly Hills. (laughs) Yeah, they just want to watch pretty people being pretty and having dramatic problems, and that's pretty yeah. much what dude, we get. Dude, dude. I guess we haven't said how banging the theme song is. Like, yeah, I didn't. I, I blew past that since you know you guys aren't yeah. uh, aren't. Uh, this is your, an early experience with it, but yeah, that that opening theme song is pretty rocking. It was it good. Definitely, I, I like, like made me feel horny for the show <laughs> and horny for the characters. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure is what its mission statement was. Right? It's a very it's one of the hornier theme songs we've done, so yeah. hooray for us on this episode. Yeah. Dry you out, get you real thirsty for them. Yeah. Glug, glug. So Dylan is all angsty and is like staring out in the backyard and talking about how like it's the same backyard from before my dad exploded as it is right now. <laughs> And then Brenda's like, come inside, you guys. It's cold. And I'm like, fuck you, Brenda. You're from Minnesota, and you haven't been in California long enough that you should be cold by whatever the coldest temperature in California is. Accuracy check. Brutal. Yeah. Maybe maybe she's just being empathetic to Dylan. <laughs> she's just like, get inside the house. Get inside the house, Dylan. You're probably cold. <laughs> You're probably cold like your dead dad in the ground who's cold and dying and dead. I'm pretty sure it's hot wherever he is. biblical (laughs) so they go inside upstairs they're making up a bed for dylan and talking about grieving and uh brenda gives an overly simplistic uh oh but he's still with us in spirit 
when Dylan tries to blow off going to the memorial service because he's all like, dead is dead, man. What does it matter? <laughs> this is a really special episode, Austin. It's got a dead dad explosion, unlike your evil twin who wants to drink liquor. Right? Yeah, like this wasn't, this wouldn't have been my first pick for a, a very special 90210 episode, but it checks a lot of those boxes. This is our first exploded dad. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that a tag in the in the, in the <laughs> post on on the website. Exploded dad as a subject. <laughs> it definitely is about Play it the dad. next time your child's father explodes. Uh, at one point, Brenda <sighs> mentions her aunt Sheila having died, and and how she's sort of equating this you know dealing with that to to Dylan's situation. And uh, Aunt Sheila was previously mentioned in the very special "Does Brenda Have Breast Cancer?" episode. Oh shit! Because Aunt Sheila wow. died from breast cancer. I was worried she died from exploding. Because <laughs> Aunt Sheila was killed, yeah, was by, killed the by the mob, too. or a drug overdose, <laughs> or if if there was uh, one of the Midwestern people, like uh, I don't know, clogged artery from cheese. I suppose yeah, <laughs> that does get us a lot. <laughs> You gotta watch out. Austin's Midwestern. Um, it was the mafia. They gave her exploding titty implants. And, <laughs> but yeah. they gave her cancer instead. <laughs> the bomb was a dud, but it gave her cancer. Uh, then we cut to the uh, the house where Kelly and David live as step-siblings. And Kelly is complaining to Tori Spelling about how she can't just sex Dylan's troubles away. And also about how she doesn't like the fact that Dylan is living at the Walsh's at this point. And then uh, Vanilla Ice comes in and Donna gets mad when she finds out that he hasn't rescheduled his recording session uh, that conflicts with Dylan's dad's funeral. Yeah, Donna really cares about that. Oh, wait, no, Tori Spelling cares, too. Yeah, the line between Donna and Tori Spelling is... uh, frighteningly thin i suspect is it so aaron spelling her father was the producer on this yes and we must say i know austin knows shane did you know that tori spelling isn't saved by the bell she has to date screech for like two episodes and then she disappears in the night she was violet bigger stuff and then screech disappeared her in the night and uh yeah uh, she is our first. Is that why they call him Screech? Because uh, that's the sound of his <laughs> And when they look at him, too. Has that joke been made? I'm sure it has. I don't know if that one did. Hey! It's pretty good. Hey. It's pretty good. Now you don't need to watch Saved by the Bell. Yeah, I think I've, I've cracked the code. Graduated out. Very nice. Uh, there's also a point in this uh, scene where David invites Donna to stay for dinner, and Kelly asks what they're having, and he says, meatloaf. And Kelly turns up her nose at it because it's so fattening because this is uh, we're in the midst of a Kelly has an eating disorder plot line that is still building up at this point. Oh, shit. I just thought she was a bitch. Nope. In like three or four episodes, she's going to like pass out in the bathroom of the peach pit because she's taking speed to lose weight. Oh, I'm nice. very impressed with the level of con- the attention to continuity in this show. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're generally pretty good about it. Yeah, and I'm and I'm not being sarcastic. Like the the Aunt Brenda mention and all that stuff. Like that's that's good. That's pretty. That's pretty. Yeah. That's dedicated. Yeah, seriously. And along those same lines, in the next scene, uh, Dylan walks in on Brandon, who's angrily watching a sports ball game, and he is mad because Brandon is in the middle of a Brandon has a gambling problem plot line that hasn't come to a head yet. 
I actually read about that because uh, while I was trying to like, okay, who are these characters? Just give me a baseline. I like found the episode synopsis and it was like dropping these hints about like, yeah, and this guy's got a gambling addiction and you know, so and so and so and so. So yeah, Brandon is so. uh, Brandon is always presented as the like holier than thou squeaky clean member of the group. Like even relative to Brenda, he's the like the the square one. And uh, the basically the two vices that they give him in like the entire run of the show is one time in season one, he cut loose, got drunk, drove his car and smashed it up. And his parents like never let him live it down, except when like six episodes later, he buys another car. <laughs> and then he has a ga- and then he has a gambling problem. That's his other vice. Other than that, he's like squeaky clean. Uh, question. When he crashed the car, was he playing wild thing? I, I, he, I'm pretty sure he had to have been playing Wild Thing. I think it That's comes on it... when you smash your car, <laughs> even if you didn't have it on. But uh, yeah. yeah, there's another uh, there's another Save by the Bell callback to 90210. It's rich. Shane really appreciates it. Too. <laughs> I had honestly, I had assumed you were making a Billy Joel joke. <laughs> oh wow, burn up Billy Joel who crashes cars, but I'm <laughs> for other reasons. <laughs> he is a Wild Thing. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so late evening, Dylan goes downstairs and he finds baseball hat Dylan reading the Walsh's liquor cabinet and he mocks Dylan with all of the, the tools of sobriety about calling your sponsor and telling yourself that you're in control and talks about how he never they never had enough love from their dad as a kid and what are you going to do about it? And so he hands over the bottle of scotch and Dylan promptly chugs it all down. I was pretty impressed. Yeah, he chugs the hell out of that scotch. There's clearly not actually scotch in that bottle when when Luke Perry is like gulping it down. Even if it was just like iced tea, that stuff can be pretty bitter. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. it can be hard to chug. It makes a little face, you know. Yeah, it's an impressive chug uh, on Luke Perry's part. And this is, of course, uh, deeply monumental because uh, Dylan is an alcoholic. Yes. I, I gathered. I gathered that just from like from content. And again, it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but no. Like, yeah, they did a good job of like dropping that in for people who weren't necessarily yeah. familiar with that aspect of the show. Like, yeah, you know, he makes the sponsor crack and all that stuff. So, right, 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 right. So the next morning, the Walshes are gathered around the breakfast table ahead of the funeral. Uh, Brenda is wearing an awfully short skirt for a uh, for a funeral. Not that I'm body shaming or anything, but. Uh, my immediate reaction was like, really? That's, that's, you're going to wear that to the funeral, Brenda? Gotta let them stiff something to look at, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep them stiff at the funeral. Yeah, rigor mortis. Uh. <laughs> and uh, Brenda laments Dylan being on the front page of the LA Times once again. And intrepid boy reporter Brandon sticks up for the media saying that it's an important news story. Because <laughs> Brandon works for the school paper and... When he's on the case, he's going to get to the bottom of it. Extra, extra, exploded dad, handsome man's dad explodes. This is the point where, uh, I don't know that this necessarily occurred to me watching it as a kid, but like nowadays, given the like 24-7 news cycle, I'm like, would, his, would he still be on the front page on like day two like of the <laughs> LA Times? Do they really care that like some kid's mob-affiliated dad blew up? I mean, I guess I don't know. They probably he probably was like a bit of a media darling. Like, he was. I mean, certainly like that- his dad's somewhat famous. Like when he got arrested and went to jail, that was news earlier in the in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I'm trying to think of a 
of a rough analogy of like someone who's known for being like a wealthy real estate mogul, but also with like shifty ties. I might even be tempted to say um, a certain current president of the United States before he became the president of the United States might be roughly analogous. Like if Donald Trump before he became like a super not so political type had been arrested that and then blew up in a car would Donald Trump Jr. be staked out by reporters? Probably. Probably. We can only hope. But I mean, on day two, though, it's a, it's a fair question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I feel like, today, certainly, he would have been pushed down into, like, page seven, because yeah. nothing is news for more than, like, ten minutes nowadays. But, but, the re- but part of the reason that is is because of Donald Trump, so, Yeah, like... that's true. That's true. <laughs> so if he had blown up in a car 15 years ago, maybe it'd be different. Yeah, who knows? Uh, yeah. So then we go back to the David Kelly house and Tori Spelling is yelling at Kelly for not being ready yet and not wanting to go to the funeral because she's going to have to talk to Brenda. And uh, then she yells at Vanilla Ice some more because he's got to go record his white boy rap after the funeral instead of going over to the Walsh's house. And I I feel like, uh, I mean, to David's minor credit, He's going to the funeral. He's just not going to like be able to hang out at the Walsh's house with everyone afterwards. So it's not like he's completely bailing on Dylan. Yeah, but, and um, also it, it kind of they they kind of mentioned how like him and Dylan aren't that close. Yeah, David David rightly points out that he doubts Dylan would be thinking about him at all, and that of course sort of foreshadows their later encounter in the episode. Yeah, and there's a uh, there's a moment in this scene when. Like, Don is getting mad at Kelly for not going to, like, not wanting to go to the funeral and trying to beg off. And she's like, aren't you and Dylan supposed to be going out? And it's, it just, it's one of those, like, phrases that struck me as, like, it's the most immature sounding way to try to sound mature. Yeah, yeah, it it really is. Like, if they were 40 and a married couple, you'd just be like, you know, that's your husband, you have to support him. And that would sound like... That would be the appropriate level of drama for that exchange. But as like 16 year olds in high school, you're like, you're supposed to be going out like it's this sacred bond that can't be broken. And it's just these two random words that we've imbued meaning with. And it just sounds terribly childish. Yeah. Look, if you're you're not going to support him in his dad's death, you should just break up. Right. I mean, what's why even bother? He sounds like too much of a drama bomb, honestly. A lot of shit keeps following Dylan, and I don't know if I want to deal with it. Drama bombs? Dad bombs? <laughs> my car was, my dad was killed in a drama bomb. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> and my hit single about it bombed, too. Wiki, wiki. In the next scene, uh, a seemingly not drunk or hungover Dylan, they kind of... They cliffhanger him chugging that scotch, and then nothing really ever comes of it. Uh, he was fine. He got a little drunk. He, he's a pro. He, <laughs> yeah, that's how alcoholism works. Sometimes you can just get a little drunk. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, he's trying to fix his tie, and Brenda I mean, comes in. To be fair, baseball hat Dylan probably drank most of it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He was he was clearly jonesing for that scotch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brenda comes in and they cut through Brenda's room and Dylan sees that she's purged all evidence of their relationship from her room. But she tells him that they're always going to have this special bond and this connection and blah, blah, blah. Spoiler alert. They don't. He ends up with Kelly in the very end. Oh, Austin, is that the way you were shipping it? That is not the way I was shipping it. What do you want? I was always a Dylan, Brenda, Brandon, Kelly shipper. 
Wow, mm. wow. So you were made the fool, I'm afraid. I, I was, but the Branded <laughs> Kelly ship sailed when Branded left the show like two seasons before the end, so. Oh, uh, yeah. That wasn't going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they, uh, she fixes his tie, and it's supposed to be a cute moment or whatever. But I really did identify with the um, having a girl fix your tie for you. That was one of my go-to moves in high school. Sorry I was a bit of a creep, but, like, (laughs) saying that I didn't know how to tie a tie was a really easy way for uh, me to get girls to come up and get close to me. (laughs) I I wouldn't be surprised if that's what Dylan is doing here. Like, even amidst his grief, he can't, like, turn turn off the smoldering charm. Yeah, yeah. And and thank you, because that really does describe me in high school, is smoldering charm. Yeah, you identify (laughs) with that. I was a real Luke Perry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, who was it, really? Oh, uh, yeah. You do have a pretty good head of hair on you to this day, Shane. That's true. Um, That's fair. Fi- yeah. Find me the podcaster who wasn't a real Luke Perry. In high school. <laughs> <laughs> can't. Can't. They don't you can't do it. You what, just can't. what if the girl tries to do your tie and she's just like really shit at it and just like ties it into like five <laughs> like just knots ties or a it bunny? In, like a, a knot. Like you say, hair. you say, thank you so much. I really appreciate your help. <laughs> then you nice. find another girl. <laughs> hey, it's two for one. It works out great. Everyone yeah, wins. yeah. You look even more pathetic by girl number two. It's right, perfect. exactly. You go up to her with this like weird tie, this like weird knot that this other yeah. girl tied. Like, even better me with my tie. I can't, I can't get it at all. Look how helpless I am. <laughs> I'm so befuddled with grief that I can't even tie this tie. Yeah, that was the other thing in high school. I always fell back on the fact that my dad blew up. <laughs> your dad was rubbed out by the mob. Uh, yeah, so they go to the church funeral home, whatever, and uh, Dylan's looking at the urn that's containing his father because I don't think he had a lot of choice about whether or not he was going to be cremated. hey <laughs> And uh, he's getting taunted by baseball hat Dylan some more. And then the service starts, and uh, Tori Spelling and Kelly and Vanilla Ice come in, and Kelly is irked to see Dylan is sitting up with the Walshes. So instead, she sits down next to another one of those doughy, shifty guys. Was it a different doughy, shifty guy? Uh, this In this scene, yes, it is a okay. different oh. doughy, shifty guy. <laughs> <laughs> They're like from the special branch of the FBI that don't have to exercise. Yeah, <laughs> And while the the preacher is prattling on, baseball hat Dylan is sitting up on the altar, mocking uh, all the stuff he's saying about about Dylan's dad, about and, reaping and sowing and, and rocks and, and turning and the seasons and whatnot. <laughs> and uh, when the opportunity comes for Dylan to stand up and say something about his dad, he declines to say anything at all. And this entire scene left me with two questions, which is, uh-huh. was Dylan's dad even religious? Because this never came up before. Like, <laughs> is this a Catholic service? Is this Lutheran? I have no idea what's going on. And also, like, the church is filled with random people. I have no idea who any of them are. Uh, they're all mafia. Yeah, let's, I'm like, is this all, is <gasps> like, are these goons? Did they send the goons to, like, make sure he was really dead? Are, <laughs> are they old, like, shifty financial people? Tip over the air and see if he's in there. We don't know what Dylan's dad did at night. He probably had many lovers at the Peach Pit as well. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but I didn't see very many, like, f- women in this room. <laughs> it's just a lot Wouldn't of, like... I say women, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> they were all, uh, they're all just business connections. Just associates. Well, 
Winky business. Fair business. enough. I think when I think when you die, your LinkedIn profile sends out invitations <laughs> to everybody. Yeah, you have to opt out of it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to opt out. All these people are like, "Oh, I worked for I worked for one of Jack McKay's firms twenty years ago. I guess I better go to his funeral." Well, it's a good networking opportunity because you know everyone else from their LinkedIn profile is going to be there. Everybody in like behind the first two pews are just trading business cards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and demo tapes. Yeah, yeah. Resumes yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so after the, I guess the service, they're still at the funeral home. Everybody's hanging out, waiting for Dylan, because I guess they can't go to the Walsh's house without him. Uh, and Vanilla Ice is getting impatient because Dylan isn't grieving fast enough and he needs to go <laughs> stop, collaborate, and listen. <laughs> Not necessarily in that order, but yeah. Not necessarily in that order, but in, to some extent. And uh, Donna's finally like, just get the fuck out and go to your goddamn recording session. Uh, Brenda goes over while Kelly is talking to Dylan's dad's girlfriend. And Brenda makes sure that Kelly knows that she's welcome to come to their house, despite all of the bad shit that's recently gone down between them. And then Dylan is going to the bathroom and he's accosted by that uh, doughy, shady guy who was sitting in the funeral. Yeah. So I like how this scene happens because they're like, where's he going? He's going to the bathroom. And yeah. I could just hear them do the next line, which is, he's going to take a giant shit <laughs> out of grief. See, when when they made that excuse yeah. that he's going to the bathroom, I thought that I he was going to be like dipping into the communion wine or something like that. <laughs> I thought was, he was sneaking off to drink more. Yeah, no, he was he's- literally just had to take a leak. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, taking the communion wine and then he's shitting into his father's <laughs> grave while he's drinking. So technically, he's going to the bathroom, but it's not in the room that he should be mm-hmm. bathing. Right. Well, this doughy guy tells Dylan that uh, <laughs> uh, he's like, "Look, see, someone's gonna be calling you soon. You gotta be smart about it, capiche?" Yeah, well, which is how cops talk. Right. Exactly. They definitely do. Exactly. Like, That's awesome. homeboy, you are alone in a bathroom with a guy, like. I'm pretty sure you can say, like, hey, there was more to your father than you knew. Uh, you know, I'm not a criminal, but you should, you know, like, I, I don't right. know. Right. I can't go into details right now, but we're going to be calling you. It's on the up and up. Don't don't freak out. Instead yeah. of, like, ah, you got a lot of moxie, kid. Eh. <laughs> 23 skidoo, all right? Yeah. Word of the wise. Your father had a soft, soft mouth, kid. <laughs> But just when we think something seriously bad is going to happen to Dylan, Vanilla Ice comes in and is like, oh, good, Dylan. I'm glad you're here. I, man, I got to take off. I got this this recording gig I got going on. And Dylan gives him exactly the right amount of shits, which is none. Yeah. <laughs> but cool. Go do that, then. He's like, I this... don't fucking care what you do, pal. Is this our evil Dylan is like watching? He's like, when is this guy going to leave? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we got his feet up in one of the stalls. so back at the walsh house brandon and steve are trying to cure dylan's grief with sport ball and uh that doesn't work and brenda's worried that the mob's gonna rub dylan out and kelly is stress eating her anxiety because she's in brenda's house and dylan's in brenda's house and how is she supposed to deal with all of this and uh baseball hat dylan is taunting real dylan with uh the liquor cabinet throughout this whole sordid affair uh which made me wonder like maybe when you're you're hosting i guess this is like a wake of sorts 
maybe when you're hosting a wake for your teenage son's friend who's staying at your house and is also an alcoholic, maybe don't roll out a giant cart filled with booze and put it in the middle of your living room. Oh, yeah, they had a spread, too. That was like a buffet. Yeah, it was like a buffet of booze bottles. Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. In an adult funeral, I understand, like, his dad was an adult, but, like, you're hosting your, your your friends, your kids' friends at this point. Like, do you really need that much booze out? Yeah, this is the kids' table version of the wake. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Where they just have a whole cart of Capri Sun. Yeah. <laughs> Evil Dylan slamming them. But this is nine hundred two and zero, where they have to they have to try desperately to make the thirty somethings playing teenagers seem as old as possible. That's true. <laughs> Speaking of, the oldest teenager is the lady who's like the lady nerd, right? Where yeah. Is she? On- Andrea. Can you call her Andrea? She talks to Brandon's mom about gardening at one point, and she, she was, was here. Yeah, Whoa. she was in the scene at the Peach Pit when they were watching the news, but she doesn't really get a a story arc in this episode. I guess not. No one cared if she went to the funeral. <laughs> no, no, she wasn't trying to cut an album at the same time, so <laughs> it didn't get brought up. So. Well, she was, but she was able to reschedule, so it wasn't an issue. So they didn't have to talk <laughs> she wasn't about a it. Total noob about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, we get a brief scene where. Uh, David is meeting with his like shifty ass record producer and yeah. I don't know what these guys are at this point, but uh, he's like, oh, come on. When are we going to get this recording done? I got to go to this funeral. And they give him this whole spiel about in this business, you got to be you got to have a partnership like I hip and you hop. You get it. And I can't tell if they're mad that he didn't try to reschedule the recording session or mad that he's getting like anxious and wants to cut it short. It is 100% opaque as to what, how this is hitting those guys. Right. But they are like acting quite morally superior at the music agents and they do drop the phrase creative synergy. Yeah. (laughs) So I also like, you know, um, they're on the up and up with lingo like that. The, Creative synergy, see? I, yeah. I guess I guess imagine meeting those guys at a party and it's like, so uh <laughs> what what do you guys do? Oh, we're record executives. Oh, what kind of record executives? A sleazy record executives. <laughs> <laughs> mean and sleazy. Here's my card, Sleaze Productions. <laughs> ah, thank you. I see you were a fan of this guy's LinkedIn profile too, so <laughs> uh back in the Walsh House, baseball hat Dylan is uh tearing down all of Dylan's friends with some not entirely untrue statements uh, like the fact that Dylan and Donna really don't have anything in common and it's really only a matter of time before Kelly gets bored and leaves him and Kelly comes up to him and is trying to talk to him and she mentions that newspaper story from earlier that uh, the Walshes have been keeping away from Dylan and that gets him all mad and he angrily walks into the Walsh's study amidst the guitar wail of importance. <laughs> which is how we know that something significant is happening, because we get a little guitar wail. And uh, baseball hat Dylan is behind the the open bar like, what do you have, partner? Step on up. <laughs> much much like the bartender in The Shining. Exactly. He's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're channeling some Kubrick here. Yeah. What was Dylan's drink of choice? I'm sure he got, like, really shitty when he realized he was an alcoholic. He kept holding a bottle of Johnny Walker, which I recognize because I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) I also recognize it as a bottle of Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker Black, specifically. Yeah. Um, The good shit. But uh, I don't believe they ever established. Like, we've seen him. He was, he's always 
been a recovering alcoholic for as long as he's been on the show. Like that was always since he was eight years old. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that. I have some oh, thoughts nice. on that. Um, huh. But like when we first meet the character, we eventually find out that like he is an alcoholic and he's going to meetings and all that kind of stuff. So we never really see him like totally hit rock bottom. He relapses a few times at at this point in the show. He relapses hardcore later on in the show, but at this point, he's still. Uh, Still pretty much on the straight and narrow, and you never really get a good sense of what his booze of choice back in the day was. But at this point, he's definitely going for the Johnny Walker. Yeah. Well, like any uh, any good uh, TV alcoholic, his booze of choice was just booze. Right, exactly. Brown liquid, please. Booze and plenty of it. <laughs> a double. Double booze. So right as uh, Dylan is about to reach for that uh, that Johnny Walker, Vanilla Ice comes in because he is... He has uh, cut his recording session short so that he could be there for his friend. And we get baseball hat Dylan saying what we're all thinking, which is, aw, not now, goofball. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that was, uh, that could have been David's, like, calling card whenever he came on the screen for a while there. It's like his yeah. norm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, norm. Aw, not, not now, now, goofball. goofball. <laughs> Go record an album, you goof. And Dylan's basically like, get the hell out of here, man. I'm trying to drink myself into a stupor, and we're not even friends. And David says, you're right, we're not friends, but I feel like I know you really well right now because I recently watched my best friend blow himself away, and I know what it's like to grieve the way you're grieving right now. And he gives him a whole bit about how you can't drink away your problems and blah, 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 blah. And that's enough for... Real world Dylan to shut up baseball hat Dylan and quash the urge to drink. And that's one of those, like, David's whole speech about, like, you you know, I wanted to get high, but I realized that my problems would still be there when I was done. And it's an overly simplistic look at, like, it's overly simplistic take on some of these, uh, you know, like alcoholics and, and how that drives you and how you, know, you just have to tell yourself, oh, it'll still be there and I can get past my addictions and whatnot. But then at the same time, like when I was, I don't know, 12 watching this, I was like, okay, got it. Can't drink away my problems. Check. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ostensibly a show for the younger set. It's not a bad lesson to teach. Right. But then it's funny because like watching this now as an adult, I'm like, hmm, Maybe you can drink away your problems. <laughs> well, if one of your problems is that you're not drunk, drinking does, <laughs> does help. Take that away. It's true. It does help. Uh, it was at this point in the episode when my uh, my wife, who was not really paying very much attention, looked up and commented that Tori Spelling's head looks too big for her skinny body. <laughs> yeah, Tori Spelling has never been like um, the uh, easiest child actor on the eyes yeah. necessarily. Uh, this scene will also get referenced later in the series when Dylan is helping a pill-addicted David get sober in college. Oh. He, he tells him about the time that uh, David came in after his dad's funeral and, without knowing it, stopped him from significantly falling off the wagon. See it? Wow. Good continuity. See? That's- continuity. That's like really continuity trying, like Saved by the Bell didn't try. <laughs> it's like the anti Saved by the Bell in that regard. Yeah. In college, did they get hooked on NO nitrous? <laughs> no, they got hooked on legitimate drugs like heroin and speed and. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Heroin college. What did they go to Oregon? <laughs> yeah, Dylan. Dylan loses all of his money to con artists at one point and spends <gasps> like half a season just totally blown out on heroin. Okay, oh, wait. How do you con artists? How do you stole his class ring? <laughs> I don't believe the class rings were involved at all. Okay. How do you yes, get that much heroin when you get conned out of all your money? <laughs> that is a legit. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's it's a good question. Um, yeah, he he steals a little bit. He uh, yeah. They don't. They don't. They really don't explore. How makes, he makes some smart money. investments. Yeah. 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 Because like, he. Totally- the idea like is it. that uh, yeah. that Dylan is like super rich because his dad, when his mom oh. and his dad got divorced, his dad gave his mom like millions of dollars to basically just go away. Whoa. And she put that money into a trust for Dylan. And so then when she briefly comes back into town and tries to like be a mom to him, but he's, he's too much of a weary loner to be mothered at this point in his life. So she goes back to Hawaii, but transfers like puts the trust in his name so he can basically like live on his own. And then in college, he, uh, he meets he falls in with these con artists who convince him to like invest in their company and then they get access to his account and basically drain it of all of his millions and he invested in a bad startup um do we know if his father had splody insurance <laughs> well yeah he probably made a, a a mint on the uh, on the insurance as well since i mean we're going to find out that his dad was working for the FBI you don't do that and not take out some additional life insurance yeah no kidding mm. Uh, so the next scene, Dylan seems to be doing a little bit better, but then he gets a threatening phone call. <gasps> to be fair, they told him he was gonna. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, they're just following through on a promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a threatening promise with a boat phone. No, it's not. Yeah, so he he goes to leave and Kelly's like, but Dylan, I'm trying to make this funeral all about me and you're not <laughs> letting me. And Dylan's me, like, me, me. I need to go meet with some mobsters right now. I can't deal with your shit. And so he gets Brandon's help to escape the press that are still camped out outside the house. And uh, he's coolly blasé about the possibility of his impending death. Brandon's like, what happens if these guys kill you? And Dylan's like, you got to go when you got to go. <laughs> and then he, Like and then my he, dad uh, who just went. He drives off to the synthesizer chords of menace. To let us know that something dangerous is afoot. How often are these episodes like dealing with the espionage and danger? More often than they should be. Mm. See, yeah. Oh, like they watch. I mean, for a soap opera that's supposed to be about like teenagers dealing with life's problems, this like this pseudo high end kind of stuff, like high intensity danger stuff, gets brought into it more often than not. Well, look, when you're a writer producer in the '90s. You're on a bunch of cocaine. Mundane teen problems just aren't that interesting. You gotta add spies eventually. And I think to this day, because I believe the Archie series, Riverdale, they like do cocaine and shit too. I love, I've talked on on our show before about my love Uh of Riverdale and Riverdale is 100% the spiritual successor of 90210 (laughs) in terms of it's like, here, we're going to depict characters who are ostensibly 16, but put them in the kind of like precarious situations that most 30-year-olds wouldn't know how to handle. <laughs> like drug abuse and getting framed and sent to prison, where you get involved in a fight club and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how to handle that. Right? Right? Hmm. 
Yeah. So uh, Dylan, baseball hat Dylan is back and he's taunting real Dylan about meeting with the mob and he seems like he's kind of scared. But then Dylan goes into Mexico town. Yeah, that, I, I, I noticed that. It's like Chinatown, but Mexican themed. I don't know if that's a real thing in somewhere on the outskirts of Beverly Hills, but... At first, I thought he was just going to, like, a mexican theme restaurant, but then there's all kinds of, like, shops, and it's uh, it's an interesting setting. He gets confronted by a very dorkily dressed big black guy who comes off threatening, but then turns out to be FBI. You know, it's funny. As soon as I, it's, it, like, panned up to show, like, the, the whole guy, I was like, he seems nice. I don't know, for some <laughs> reason. I, I, I trust this guy. <laughs> Like, the bland stripe pattern on his collared shirt makes me feel comfortable and yeah. soothed. Also, the this was a, when I really noticed um, that Dylan was, like, five pounds a boy in a 15-pound suit of clothes. <laughs> oh, man, the coats get so big. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because, like, Dylan throughout the show is supposed to be this, like, uh, you know, scrappy street fighter type whenever there's, like, any kind of, like, fisticuffs or whatever. They have fisticuffs? Oh, totally. Um, but yeah, the whole time you're just like, you feel like a stiff breeze could knock over Luke Perry. Yeah. Well, he's wearing a sail, so he's just going to go. Like, <laughs> this is true. Uh, so this FBI agent takes Dylan into the back of Mexico town, uh, where another, where the shifty dude from the funeral is waiting as well as Dylan's dad's girlfriend, who turns out to also be an FBI agent. And we find out that Dylan's dad was secretly working with the FBI to lure out his old mob buddies. And while all of this is going on, literally every single person in the scene is wearing an enormous trench coat. (laughs) Yep. Because they're spies. Yeah, because they're doing like shady spy stuff. Yeah. Wear a trench coat. It's espionage. This would also be when my wife looked up and said, oh, it's a trench coat party. Thank you for wearing the appropriate attire, Dylan. <laughs> no one can tell you're a spy if they can't see most of your body because it's under a large coat. That's just yeah, that's, coats and spying that's 101. Spy 101. Yeah, right there. Uh, Dylan rightly lays into the FBI, uh, pointing out that uh, they seem to have let their star witness get blown up. And uh, the FBI agent gets kind of testy about that. But, I mean... Dylan's not wrong. Yeah, his his defense is like, okay. <laughs> he just yells like, okay. Like, that's enough. It's like, yeah, okay, we but, do it. okay. But my dad, though. Yeah, I'm sure you're okay is really going to comfort Dylan in his grief. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It uh, seems so to, talks, which is weird. He talks one-on-one with his dad's girlfriend, and she tells Dylan that she did love his dad for real and was going to resign from the FBI, but now they both need to find a way to move on because his dad got exploded. And in general, throughout this whole, like, the FBI needs to secretly talk to Dylan subplot, I feel like they could have handled the whole thing a lot better. Yeah. Do they make Hallmark cards for when your dad gets exploded? Well, apparently they should. I'm sure if you go on the website, you can uh, find something. <laughs> I'm sure they have an extensive archive. Like a template that you can personalize. Yeah. But yeah, I, f- I feel like the writers went a little too far out of their way to make us think that this was the mob to the point where you're like, why is the FBI acting like the mob when you find <laughs> out the truth? Yeah, exactly. 
Like they could have, they could have been like, oh, someone is ominously watching Dylan and someone ominously needs to get him alone. And you're like, maybe it's the mob, but these guys are basically like, we're going to do mob things to you, but we're really the FBI. Yeah. As a, as a longtime watcher of wrestling, it's the same kind of uh, writing logic in which the more a guy talks about being an upstanding citizen, the more likely he is <laughs> going to punch someone in the ball bag at some point during the evening. <laughs> Um, so here's a uh, here's a spoiler alert for you guys. Since this oh, kind of wait wait kind of uh-huh. hold on, I I did a little bit of further reading. <laughs> Dylan's dad is not dead. Dylan's dad oh is my not God, dead. What? <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for the appropriate time to to uh, also bring that up. Yes. Oh man, what uh, an emotional roller coaster! How is he not dead? He got exploded. He faked his own death. Yeah, they uh, they swapped him out and faked his death. Oh my God. You know, they swapped him out during that thing that accidentally made him switch places with his son. Yeah, exactly. The thing that he couldn't have predicted, Dylan's girlfriend calling. <laughs> was she in on it, maybe? I don't know. No, no she was not. Yeah. Yeah, towards, maybe, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's either the, the penultimate season or the last season of 90210. There's like a like a near plane crash that makes the national news and like Dylan's watching TV with Steve or whatever. And they're showing the passengers getting off the plane and Dylan's like, wait a minute. And he hits pause. He's like, that's my dad. And he goes and finds out that he was in witness protection. And he has this whole other family and blah, 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 blah. Ice cold. Yeah, it was, this would have been, I would have been in high school when that episode aired and that was, I wouldn't call it the, like, jump the shark moment for me, because, I mean, plenty of ridiculous ass things had happened right. on 90210 before, but that was the point where I was just like, this is just 100% a straight-up soap opera. Like, early on, it tried to present itself as, like, a soap opera for teens, and we're going to tackle issues that kids care about, and blah, blah, blah. But by the point that Dylan's dad, who we thought was blown up by the mob, turns out to secretly be alive. I'm like, I may as well just be watching General Hospital at this yeah. point. See, this yeah. this goes back to what I was saying about continuity, because the fact that right. Dylan's dad is alive and the way that this sort of hand wave that's like, oh, well, I think my own death. Don't think too hard about it. When at this point in the show, it seems like they are rewarding you for paying attention and kind of thinking right. about this stuff. So, yeah. you know, that that's yeah. definitely like a symptom of bad writing in, in that way. Right. And again, like speaking of continuity, Dylan's dad's FBI agent girlfriend will pop up a couple more times. Like uh, later so on. I was going to ask, at- did she know about it? Uh, I don't think she did. That- and I do believe she comes back. Like when Dylan sees him on TV, he goes to her basically like she's still an FBI agent and is like, what the hell? And she's like, I have no idea. And it's with her help that they like track him down in witness protection. <laughs> Well, all right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's before that, after he, so he loses his money, goes on a heroin bender, Uh gets better from that, and then tries to steal back his money from the con artist that took it. And he gets, he goes to her for help to track them down some non-extradition country or something like that. Is it in Mexico town? Is that what they- Yeah, I think it's just south of Mexico town. How could you trick us into Mexico town? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Um. So just to keep going for a second, when we see that we return to the dad, the prodigal dead dad, is he like 
hey, Dad, why did you leave? And that's just like, I was really fucking sick of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> he, he spends a whole thing about how it was like to protect Dylan and he was better that Dylan thought he was dead than run the risk of Dylan getting killed by the mob or some, yeah. some nonsense like that. Yeah. Damn. The truth is he just doesn't know how to break up with somebody. Right? He's like, really, not a breakup with his son. I just needed to get out of that relationship with Christine. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It was all about Christine. Dylan was just collateral damage. Yeah, this, this yes. seemed like, I mean, if you got a better idea, Dylan, I would have loved to have heard it back then. <laughs> but this is what I came up with, and that's what I did. Dang, dude. And, I mean, to the show's credit, they got the same actor to come back. Well, that's good. Oh, it'd be terrible if they didn't. Well, I mean, even if they didn't, they could have just said, like, yeah, I got plastic surgery done. Boom, done. <laughs> Uh-huh, smooth, Shane, smooth. Yeah, I could, <laughs> yeah, I could write this show. Right? That would have been you easy. Could, yeah. Ah, plastic surgery to... Uh, I, could, I could at least write the bad seasons. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so then, uh, Baseball Hat Dylan is uh, trying to get Dylan to drink once more, and Dylan finally snaps and gets mad at Baseball Hat Dylan and says, we are not 13 anymore, and I don't want a drink. And then that's the point at which baseball hat Dylan dramatically turns into someone we've never seen before, but can assume that uh, is Dylan as a little kid. The expression on that little kid's face made me laugh out loud. Like he is <laughs> he is gawping at old Dylan. It is right. I can't even describe this face. If you're listening to this, go find this episode. Go like, I don't know, 48 minutes in and look at this kid's face. He's like, he's like on the verge of shocked tears, but it's just like a freeze frame on it. And he just holds it for way too long. Anyway, it uh, it affected me is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's uh, one sad baby boy. Yeah, it's it's crazy weird, and it's like you're 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 like, is he shocked that he doesn't want to drink, or is he just like, sad, like shocked that Dylan's finally had this breakthrough? You're not. It's not terribly clear. I know it's not that productive of a feeling, but I just kept wanting Dylan just to like fucking get drunk and get over it. Yeah, I mean that's where it's like all alcoholics like I, should. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just bite the bullet, you yeah. pansy. Actually, drink bullet. Yeah, see that baby boy. <laughs> bite the in bullet. The sweatpants, <laughs> just in it. Well, and see, this is so. Uh, this is the point because Dylan's like, "We're not thirteen anymore, and I don't want a drink," and uh, which kind of encapsulates one of the things that, like, even as a kid, uh, kind I kind of struggled with watching this, which is that like they want to make Dylan angsty and world weary from the moment that we meet him. Like he's this like mysterious bad boy that prowls the halls of West Beverly. And you right. and you know, you find out like he's an alcoholic and he's got this like a strange relationship with his dad who's rich but connected to the mob and he like lives on his own in the hotel or at the beach club and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, Yeah, that would work if he was like twenty five <laughs> but the he's supposed to be like fifteen or sixteen when we meet him. And so, like, that gets, like, underscored in this scene where he talks about, like, we're not 13 anymore. And I'm not trying to say that there aren't 13-year-old alcoholics out there. But it just, like, they they just end up with this weird disconnect where they're trying to cram, like, way more life experience into these characters than they could realistically handle at that point yeah. in their lives. And it also heavily implies that that goofy-looking kid 
turns into Luke Perry in two years. <laughs> it's the booze, man. It's the booze that did it. <laughs> booze makes you sexy. <laughs> It's great for your hair. That's one to grow on, kids. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, like, Dylan's supposed to have, long story short, Dylan's supposed to have this, like, super tragic backstory that makes him all, like, angsty and James Dean-ish. But anytime you stop and think about it, you're like, what, did he cram all of this tragic backstory into, like, two years of existence? In a wild couple years, man. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, 13, playing... NES and eating cereal and just getting housed on Johnny Walker. <laughs> yeah, and he's like this accomplished, you know, he's this great surfer that has all of these like connections on the bad side of town. And he's like, dude, you're supposed to be like 16. Like, it works yeah. somewhat because Luke Perry doesn't look like he's 16, but anytime the show like stops and reminds you that these are ostensible teenagers, you just are like, wait, that doesn't seem quite right. Yeah, it stops sort of tracking quite as well. And River, I mean, that's to say Riverdale nowadays does that same thing, where it's as long as you, as long as you can forget that these pretty 20-ish somethings are supposed to be playing, like, kids that are worried about the SATs, it's fine. But then they do an episode where they're worried about the SATs, and you're just like, dude, you just escaped from prison. Why are you giving a shit about the SATs? (laughs) We gotta think about my future, man. Right? So back to this episode, Dylan goes back to the Walsh house and uh, walks up to the front door through the press that are still hanging out outside, and he basically gives the eulogy that he couldn't give at the funeral, and uh, it's all pretty pat, standard stuff about how he loves his dad, and that pablum is apparently enough to get the media to be like, all right, we've got all we need from this story, let's get out of here. They looked really disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted him to say, like, his dad sucked, not that he was okay. Right, they're like, ah, the kid loves his dad. That's like dog bites <laughs> man level territory. Thanks, Dylan. <laughs> Ugh. Let's get out of here. <laughs> get a room uh, with your dead dad, why don't you? Yeah. <laughs> so then he has a heart to heart with uh, Jim on the porch, and then he goes inside and as a heart to heart with Brendan and Brandon, the wonder twins and everything is just delightfully earnest. And then Dylan picks up the phone and calls Kelly and is all smolderingly romantic to make up for not letting her make his dad's funeral be all about her. <laughs> well, you got You know, it's a give and take in a relationship. Yeah. Right. And, uh, shout out to, uh, co-host Ryan Alexander Tanner. When Dylan calls Kelly, there is a boom mic in the top of the frame. <gasps> Whoa. On Hulu. Nice. Yeah. Then, uh, Dylan looks off into the, uh, he goes into the study and for some reason they still have that fucking cart full of booze bottles <laughs> sitting front and center in the, uh, in the Walsh family living room. Well, that's the booze room to be fair. It is. This is where they all go to. This is where Jim kicks back with like six or seven vodka gimlets, apparently. (laughs) Uh, Stares down some booze bottles and rubs his dad's urn and uh, turns around to find baseball hat kid Dylan sobbing on the step. And he sits down and gives him a hug. And there's a song that plays that I'm pretty sure isn't the song that was when this originally aired. Ha. And then adult Dylan and kid Dylan share shots out of the dad's urn. They dump out the ashes and fill it up with Johnny Walker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, adult, adult, quote, Dylan, uh, consoling child Dylan. It just expected, like, uh, directed by David Lynch to appear or something like that. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it did it not is appear. It kind of close to that. Yeah, so... 
Dylan? They have the double Dylan, and then there's that other boy who looks like Dylan, the one who's not Vanilla Ice. Yeah, David. Yeah, why why are the why do all the men look almost the same in this? Because this was 1994, and that was oh, yeah. that was po- yeah. Everybody has like inexplicably tall hair. The men, at least the one of them, is like a blonde guy. Yeah, oh yeah, that's true. Sports. Brandon, Dylan, and David all have the like poofy vanilla ice hair, but yeah, but, but poor like fifty year old looking eye and zeering. He just has like curly blonde <laughs> pubes on his head. <laughs> yeah, he's got that ramen look. Yeah, 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 yeah. Steve's the fucking worst. <laughs> was he the guy who was you mad really like him, yeah. at vanilla ice in the beginning of the episode? Yeah, he's mad at Vanilla Ice because he was his manager for a while, uh, and he wasn't getting Vanilla Ice enough gigs, so he fired him, and now Vanilla Ice is all full of himself because he's got this record deal set up, which, spoiler alert, doesn't turn out very well for him because oh, no. because he doesn't have someone like Steve watching out for him. Really? And that's another example. Like Steve is supposed to be this like super... like. Hollywood insider because his mom was on a sitcom and so he like knows the ins and outs of Hollywood and the music biz and he knows how to handle all of those shifty record executives and you're like but you're 16 how could you possibly have the requisite experience to be that much of an expert as you claim to be well it's because they're all 16 too yeah I guess they don't know any better <laughs> all the executives all the exec- well, all yeah. exe- yeah. everyone's 16 <laughs> everyone's 16 <laughs> They all look varying degrees of 20 and 30, but they're all actually 16, so yeah, it's the only explanation. And uh, to your earlier question about the level of stakes in this episode and how yeah. how often it gets repeated, just to give you a, a, a sense, in the episode after this one, the Brandon has a gambling problem plotline comes to fruition in which Brandon gets in so deep with a bookie, he is threatened with death. Whoa. Do they kill him? They do not. (laughs) Nat bails him out at the last minute. Oh, thank God for Nat. And he learns a very important lesson about not gambling on basketball. You know, maybe Nat does a lot for those kids. Maybe they should put Nat in the opening credit sequence. (laughs) (laughs) Bite your tongue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the funny thing about 90210 is that, like, 75% 75% of the episodes technically qualify for our show because they've got some kind of like preachy moral lesson in there somewhere. Well, I guess when you're out of uh, press special TV, you just got to do a 90210 retrospective. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Carolyn, any final thoughts from you? Um, Just when your dad gets exploded, just like hang out and be cool for a while and maybe he'll come back. I think this is very special to know (laughs) that your dad might just leave you for his own reasons and fake his death and um, watch out for puffy gangsters because they might actually be FBI, which is probably worse. (laughs) Uh, Shane, how about you? Any, any closing thoughts, any last remarks? Um, you know, I, I came into this not having seen any Beverly Hills 90210 or, or anything like Melrose Place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, I, I figured that I would be so lost for this episode, not know what was going on. But, like, honestly, by about halfway through, they had established everything that I needed to know. And I was, like, engaged with all these characters. So it's a pretty well-crafted show, I gotta say. 
Yeah, they Looks do. Looks like you got a new fan. <laughs> no, I'm never going to watch another episode uh, unless I'm uh, invited on a podcast to, to do so. But um, I, I, if the thing is, if I were, I wouldn't hate it. Yeah, yeah. This this episode benefits, uh, in all honesty, and 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 um, you know, for for what it's worth, since we are doing this uh, because Luke Perry recently died, this episode does benefit because it's focused on Dylan and for all of the um, all of the jokes about you know, sort of his smolderingness and his outlandish backstory and all that. He really is one of the show's better characters, and it usually does better when it's focused on him. And, uh, and for the most part, series worst characters get sidelined in this one. Like we don't really have much from Steve. We don't really have much from Andrea. We have to deal with a little bit of vanilla ice, but not too much. And he actually gets kind of a decent moment with Dylan at the end there. And the only thing that Tori spelling really does is yell at other people. And that's not terrible from Tori Spelling, so... Well, honestly, the the double performance from Luke Perry was really good. Like... Yeah. Yeah. Acting opposite yourself is no easy task, but, like, that was really engaging. Like, when those... When it was just him versus him, like, those scenes really popped. Yeah, and you get get a good sense the... There's no other way that they could have done it, but you almost wish that they didn't have to show the little kid Dylan at the end. Yeah. Because Luke because Luke Perry as gray sweatshirt baseball hat Dylan really does project the sort of air of a kid trying to come across as a older kid slash grown up. Like you get the sense that this is like the little kid part of Dylan that's trying to puff himself up and make himself feel better and, and obviously that gets spelled out for you at the end when he turns into a little kid and they probably had to do it that way. But to Luke Perry's credit, he really sells that idea even before that switch. Yeah. I mean, could they have found a man for him to hug that would have looked like him enough? <laughs> if they wanted You mean to. like just kept him as Luke Perry and then done like a body double at the end so he could hold him? Use the other brunette man, not Vanilla Ice. Brandon. Yeah, because it, sure, it, I won't remember it just that. would have been Brandon, yeah. yeah. I was about to suggest the same thing, honestly. Like, hey, uh, I think it would have been kind of interesting to see Luke Perry break down like a little kid and start sobbing, and then right. get and then get hugged by by Luke, Luke, Perry. Luke Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have yeah that that probably would have been even better. Yeah, well, so armchair quarterback. Uh, yeah, so that is uh, that is this episode. Uh, Shane, thanks again for being on the show. That was my pleasure. It was a pleasure to have you let's hear uh where we can find you online and uh pimp your shows again and all that fun stuff uh yeah you can find the show anime at the gates wherever you find um podcasts Uh, i always encourage people to leave a review if you can even if it's like a scathing negative review about how much you hate me and craig and wish that we would stop doing the show as long as you rate it five stars i don't care what you say um and you can find me on twitter at shane hosey just H-O-S-E-A is how I spell my last name. That's the hard part. Shane's pretty easy. Um, and you can I post funny jokes and uh, talk about my shows, and I'm working on a tabletop role-playing game. I'm busy. 
<laughs> you also do wrestling stuff, and you have a podcast, Spec Script, which I'm on a lot oh, yeah. where people write episodes of shows that they haven't watched. Yes, I am also a co-host of Spec Script, and I always forget to plug. It's actually far more popular than Animate the Gate, so I always I never feel like I need to plug it. Uh, but yeah, Spec Script yeah. is a... Is it a, plugs itself. It plugs itself. <laughs> it's a great show. We record it live uh, here in town, and um, but you can find that as a podcast also, wherever podcasts are procured. Sold for free. Sold for free. Uh, Carolyn, how about you? Same question. Names changed? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. When I'm not uh, crapping into my dad's open grave (laughs) in front of puffy (laughs) cunts, you can find me online. I'm Carolyn Main on Twitter. C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-M-A-I and like the street. I also have a Facebook and a Patreon. You can find art there and I'll like send you stickers and postcards and shit. And another show I do is obviously Pitch Please, the podcast where we do 60-second screenplays based on the deck of illustrated movie cliche cards. Shane Hosey here, who's been my co-host on many, many episodes. He's very funny. He draws great posters, too. And you can listen to that on Cranival Studios and iTunes Podbean and Stitcher. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Austin Gorton, where you can uh, hit me up with all of your uh, burning 90210 discussion topics. Uh, I have uh, a wealth of things and opinions on 90210. Love to share them with you. So hit me up on Twitter for that. And uh, you can read my writing at the real gentleman of leisure.com. As for this show, we are a very special episode. You can find us online at a very special episode podcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at AVSE pod. You can email us via AVSE podcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can download and listen to the show on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, and Stitcher. Five stars. Five stars, yes. You can tell us how much we suck, but give us five stars while you do it. Yeah, that's a good point, Carol. We haven't plugged. Rate and review us on all those platforms. Yeah. That's uh, that's always important. I was I was scrolling through those uh, ratings and reviewings the other day and was pleasantly surprised by uh, nearly all of them. So uh, feel free to... Chip in your own two cents if you are so inclined. I'm going to write a review about how this was like such a, a shameless cash-in on the death of a famous actor and how everyone <laughs> should be ashamed of themselves. Five stars. You have many options to do that, too, because everybody keeps on fucking dying. <laughs> right? Like I said, we, we, we're backed up on this one. We got we got Mona out there, too. I mean, it's... <laughs> huh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bad time to be a celebrity, it seems like. You know, Mona really lasted a lot longer than Luke Perry. She did. did, yeah, yeah. We didn't think Luke Perry would be the first one to go from 90210. <laughs> right? And it's worth mentioning, like, the Hollywood insiders, you know, other celebrities and L.A. people have had nothing but fantastic things to say about him, which is not that common. So seriously, R.I.P. Luke Perry. Yeah, he, uh, I've read some interesting stuff, you know, obviously after he dies you get all the different kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, entertainment pundits throwing in their two cents about the career and all that kind of stuff. And here's what they really thought. Yeah. 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 And one of the things that you kind of see a lot is that he, he really, he never shied away from Dylan. He, (laughs) he always kind of embraced it. He recognized that it was responsible for a lot of his celebrity. And so, you know, he'd come back when asked and he wasn't like, 
embarrassed by it and and he brought a lot of that to his later roles in terms of just sort of being up for anything and and bringing a certain gravitas to to other genre things and it's kind of like a if i can do 90210 i can do anything mentality and yeah so good for him yeah it's a positive way of thinking about it so for a very special episode i am austin gorton and i am telling myself that i am not 13 years old anymore and i don't want to drink that was a very special episode We dissected that shit from head to toe Did the time fly by or was it slow? Got so many life lessons Oh, how we've grown Seen so much TV that we're gonna explode Next time on a very special episode so-